You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Welcome to Listen with Liston, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by sharenet.co.za. Liston Mainches is a portfolio manager, and every month we talk about the U.S. non-farm payroll data. That's the number of jobs the U.S. economy has created in the previous month outside of the agricultural sector. And Liston, shock horror, only 20,000 this month. How could the experts so-called get it so badly wrong? Well, I'm sure I said it last time. The January number, the one that came out in early February, I just said that this is this is crazy. Uh, it was something like 300,000, and they had penciled in 120,000. So they were out by 200,000. So this time they say 20,000. They're, they're probably out by another 200,000 the other way. So I reckon if you add the two together, you'll find that on average, the number looked like 170,000, and we're trucking along quite nicely, aren't we? But, uh, you know, the market does tend to react and hyperventilate on all these things. But my point, and you've heard it over all the years, and I hope there's some new listeners who haven't heard it before, because I always go to a site called bls.gov, G-O-V, and I go to table A1, uh, because I've never been able to reconcile the number they come up with with the data that they present. Now, what you call that fake news or massaged data, Hmm. I don't know. But the massage side of it is that they tend to report what we call seasonally adjusted figures. Perfectly okay to seasonally adjust because we don't have Santa Clauses walking the streets in January. And, you know, it does snow in parts of America in January and February. And, you know, the builders and the the construction people uh, are not out there. This year, we went even better because we had a government shutdown. So, you know, if you know what any of the numbers mean, please tell me. Hmm. But I'll just read for the purposes of our listeners the way I'm interpreting what I see here. So not seasonally adjusted. I think that's the important part. The number employed in the United States amongst the civilian non-institutional population The number employed between January and February went up from 154.9 million to 156.1 million. Now, I don't see that looking like 20,000 when the one says 154 point something and the one says 156 point something. It's actually 1.2 million more people were employed. Now, what the seasonally adjusted folks spend, and, and maybe they seasonally adjust or they go to a seasonally adjusted cafe for coffee or a seasonally adjusted supermarket for some seasonally adjusted uh, cereal. I honestly have a big problem with this, and you you should be laughing by now because it's 10 years we've been talking to each other, Lindsay. Yes. <laughs> and it's virtually the same story every month. And listen, just before you go on, that? in a year's time, these numbers, whether it be this month's or rather the Friday figure that we've, we're reporting upon or the previous months, they'll still be being adjusted. The adjustments go on and on and on. Ah, uh, yes, but they adjust the adjustments. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what makes even getting it a little bit more tricky. But no, you do understand. And as I said, you know, come summer, there are, are summer camp jobs for the people leaving, but also at the end of the school year and the university year, there are more people unemployed because they just haven't found a job yet. Uh, so I can understand seasonal adjustment. I, I promise you, I, I've even taught that stuff. But the point about it is that it doesn't work well on a series which we look at 
to make investment decisions. I say it's a very poor indicator of anything. Okay, let's go to the headline level now, and I'll put my simplistic argument forward, because that's the only way I can do it. On the bull side, we've got, wow, that's a really, really good number. 20,000 new jobs, 20,000 new households able to go out and spend. The reason it's a good number, it's because there aren't enough skilled workers left in America to fill the vacancies that are out there. That means the economy is absolutely booming. That's the bull case. The bear case is, goodness me, the economy is slowing. We only created 20,000 jobs. Which one is it, Liston? I tend to the latter, simply because we know that things have slowed down. Uh, whatever number you were thinking of for first quarter GDP for America, and by the way, that will come out somewhere next month. They're faster in producing them than we are. And it's not going to look good because of the government shutdown. And it's not because the government statisticians uh, uh, weren't there to uh, number it, but a whole lot of things just did not operate and operate well. Uh, and honestly, if you remember back to the times when it was there, you had people appearing on television saying they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And in fact, believe it or not, in certain places, they had soup kitchens. Now, I haven't heard soup kitchens used as a word probably since the 1930s. And I didn't hear it. I only read about it. Yes. And what about food stamps? That's an ongoing story as well. Correct. And, and again, you know, when you talk about the United States economy, it is regional. There are all sorts of differences. Apparently, if you go to Texas, it is booming and largely because of the Permian Basin or uh, shale oil coming on stream at a rapid rate. And again, that's got implications for, for oil, but oil price is actually rising right now. Let's move away from the United States now and come back to something that started to unfold on Friday in terms of a share price, a dramatic share price move, but has probably been in the making for quite a while. It's not Aspen. I want to talk briefly, if you would, about Tonga, because you know about this one. Yeah, well, again, you see, Tonga is a, a major producer of sugar, and not only in South Africa, but in, believe it or not, Mozambique, Swaziland, and uh, particularly Zimbabwe. Now, all sorts of problems have beset the company, let's be quite honest, the largest of which is the world sugar price, which has taken a big knock, and that's largely because of governmental action everywhere related to obesity. They're saying sugar is bad for you. Uh, so suddenly, with laws requiring a reduction in sugar, there is a glut of the commodity. Now, when you have a glut of a commodity, somebody has to give. And it could be the price, but as the price goes down, it just becomes unsustainable for you to keep that industry going. Now, unfortunately, South Africa is a high-cost producer. And although we have tariff protection against people dumping into South Africa, uh, it doesn't help if you've got to export into, into a, a glut. And so the, oil, the, the, the sugar price is way down. The rand is not weakening enough to offset that. And apart from which, you've got to truck sugar cane from the cane fields to the mills. And once you've got, uh, taken it from the mills, you've got to take it to the sugar terminal. So, you know, they're being hit from, from a number of sides. But it turns out, uh, and firstly, one of the big problems they had was a year ago, uh, or just over, 
when the government failed to in, introduce the tariff or implement the tariff, and uh, suddenly a whole bunch of sugar was uh, was dumped into South Africa or imported into South Africa. So not only did they have the problem of not being able to sell into the local market, but they had to export it at cost into a low uh, glut situation. I, I just don't want to tell you. This is, you know, horrifying news. Um the Zimbabwean operation is working quite well, but unfortunately they have bigger problems in Zimbabwe than sugar, and it relates actually to foreign exchange. And as you probably know, it's very difficult to get foreign exchange now. So lo and behold, they can't access the money, even if they're making some profits there. And by the way, they work everything out there in dollars. So they are a source to the Zimbabwean Reserve Bank of the scarce dollars, but they're not allowed to access their own and bring it back. So one way or the other, we're finding that Tongart has got a cash flow squeeze. It's not helped by the fact that they spent 500 million or thereabouts, in, and this is Rand, in building a, a sugar mill in Mozambique, which is behind schedule and not not actually providing the return that they they were expecting on it. So talk about, you know, everything going wrong. But the real surprise of Friday was that and Tongat had given us a warning back. Well, first of all, we got the warning last year that things weren't going well. Then we got a warning in February where they have a new CEO and he was tasked by the board to do a full review of the operations. And one thing that they, he came out with or the, the review came out with was they said you're valuing your cane too high given that world sugar prices are lower and so on. Now, I don't know how you value cane and I don't know the size of that, of that write-down. But that put a spook in the markets, again, allowing for all the, all the problems that, that, that they already had. So the price dropped from about 45 rand to 25 rand in, in, in January. Uh, at least in February, on that news. And then, lo and behold, on Friday they came out and said, uh, terribly sorry, chaps, but we have also think we've discovered fraud. We've called in a second group of uh, accountants, uh, auditors, to come and check what's going on. Well, if you think that was uh, it wasn't a bad news, that the share price then dropped to about 16 rand. And even today, I think it's only 17. 17 because rand, 19. Says, yeah. yeah, everybody says, I have no idea. You know, this thing could be another Steinhoff. This thing, we have no knowledge. So it's quite one thing to obey King for and be transparent and tell people that you have a problem. But if you don't quantify it, and I suppose you can't even because you don't know, uh, the market just puts the worst possible spin on it. Now, that wasn't just the worst because also on Friday, Aspen came out with results that, surprisingly to me, uh, induced uh, an equivalent shock because they'd been trading, and that's remember, this share traded up at 3.30 when they did that uh, GSK deal, GlaxoSmithKline deal. Yeah. And they were about three, 340 Rand. They had since dropped to about 70, 270 this time last year. Somewhere along the line, you know, messages got out that they had a bit of a cash flow squeeze and or more particularly a debt covenant squeeze. So the share price dropped to about 140. 
And blow me down, on Friday, the mm. first trade was at 69. Yes, That's exactly. 50% off in the first right. few minutes of the day. Now, I can't tell you what that does for the uh, intestines of somebody like myself. Yeah, I'm used mm. to all sorts of things, but for two companies, you know, of the stature of both, uh, to fall, you know, pretty well 50% in a day. It's not something we're used to. I disagree. It is something we've become used to ever since Steinhoff. I you, did a, I did a podcast <laughs> with your mate um, and everybody's mate, in fact, David Shapiro, yesterday, and I mentioned to him about the fact that six or seven weeks ago we did a review of 2018's disasters, boardroom disasters, share price disasters, decision disasters from the South African boardroom. We thought, well, that's it now. It's all out the way. But it keeps on coming, listen. We've only got 30 seconds left, and I'm just looking now. If you go to sharenet.co.za and put in the share code TON for Tongard, and they've got various things on the left-hand side, really great analysis you can get from this site. And it gives me 10 years ago, Tongard, High was 174. Five years ago, Tongot, the high was 174. 174, we're now 17. This share is 10% of what it was just five years ago. That is astonishing, an astonishing destruction of wealth. Well, exactly. Uh, and this is the point I'm making. But my big point about Friday was it was all on one day. Whereas we've seen a number of these, you know, sliding down, sliding down. And if you go to the construction industry, you know, you can look at Group 5, you can look at Avenge, you can look at Murray and Roberts, and you'll see, you know, another tale of woe. So, again, you know, as a custodian of other people's money, I, you know, I have to be very aware of the dangers that can happen. And we also always talk about a permanent loss of capital. Uh, but, you know, there's always this inbuilt belief in us. No, well, it has been there before. It's bound to get back. But you're having to ask now, what is it that's causing all of these problems and uh, tending to stay in position rather than, you know, in one year's time, they've got over the problems of, of the past. Uh, this has happened to far more companies than many people realize. And in fact, we're looking at one, two or three large companies that are holding the index up. Again, as you would know, many investors do not hold 20% in NASPERS, mm. which is the biggest in the, in the market. If you're not holding that, I promise you, your returns look nothing like that of the all-share index. Liston, we'll leave it there, but thanks very much for your analysis, both international and local. That was Listen with Liston. Liston Mainchies is a portfolio manager.